The Start. On Demand. demand. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, producer Jeff Fortier, Master Control. Thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. Loren, we have made it. It's Friday, the Friday of the worst week of the year. I think you nailed that this morning with your delightful good morning text at four, (laughs) whatever that was, four-ish. Hey, good morning. Well, goodbye to the worst week ever or something like that. And I thought, well, that's that's a way to say hello. But you're not wrong, Brett. See you later, week. Yeah, week, that... th- week two, week three of January. You can take it and you know what you can do with it. Yeah, first week back after the holidays, the first full week back is always a slog. And this has been a long week, Greg, longer than usual. So I'm excited that it's Friday. My cabbie, and it started on a good note for me. My cabbie, I get in the, in the cab, he's listening to Wang Chung. And yes. I'm like, what? Hey. <laughs> Which song? Yeah, well, the, the Wang Chung song, everybody. Everybody have fun. Is there tonight. more than one? <laughs> well, potentially. I, I suspect they released an album at some point, but we probably, most of us only heard one song from it. And, uh, well, uh, it's nice to have a cabbie in a good mood to get you started on this Friday. And I said, you know, this actually feels like a Friday after having, you know, all these different holidays and which has been great. Don't get me wrong, but a five day week, been anticipating the weekend, ready for Friday. It feels like Friday and some decent weather on the Mm -hmm. horizon and the Jets game last night, the Jets win 3 nothing in Detroit last night. That was fantastic to sit down and watch a game last night and to have them win, to see the Michigan boys all combined, Kyle Connor, Andrew Kopp, and uh, Connor Hellebuck, all from Michigan, and they all played uh, gigantic roles in the 3 nothing win last night. I know Cam will have much more for us coming up in sports at 625, but yeah, it was just nice to, to feel like uh, things were a little bit normal for a little bit last night. That's a good point because that's part of it, right? Like finding those things where you sit down and you, I watched uh, This Is Us last night because it debuted in January and I was like, okay, I feel a bit more like me, even though I was sitting on a couch covered in dusty sheets and the floors ripped up and the lights are weird and there's no place to sleep and my house is a disaster because the renos continue. I felt a bit more normal. And you know what I would love for today, Brett, despite the fact that I have still so many questions for officials and you know maybe a few concerns and Kids go back to school Monday, and as a full thank you to the teachers this week for all they did, this week went okay. But I'd like to get through this Friday. I'd like this to be a Friday where we don't have a a drop. You know what I mean? Like a 2 p.m., 3 p.m., 4 p.m. <laughs> newser. I don't want to – I'm going to cautiously open my inbox with one eye, like at around 8 o'clock, just to make sure there's no <laughs> provincial newser coming because we've heard from them. We may or may not have liked what they've had to say, and uh, we need to start moving forward. So that's how I'm feeling this Friday. Yeah, because I was I, I watched the the provincial newser yesterday on the the contact tracing in schools, and we'll we'll get into that in our next segment a little bit more. But I, at the end of it, I, I kind of realized. I retain nothing from that because I was just glazed over as I was watching it. And I've, it's just sort, sort of like I'm trying to, to pay attention. I'm trying to learn. <laughs> I'm trying to follow what's happening. And I sat there for 45 minutes and realized I retained nothing from that. And it's a, no fault of the province. It's just kind of like I've uh, the cutoff point has already been reached. So we're all happy. <laughs> It was like a, my organic chem classes from high school or whatever, <laughs> where you get to the end of it and you're like, 
Yeah, I still don't. Like, I mean, I know this is important. And chemistry makes the world go round, but I don't know how this works. I checked out at some point between the first <laughs> class and the last class, and uh, pretty much nothing in between is retainable. But you know, Brett, you say that, but the one thing that I was asking about, there's a, this plan walkout uh, that's being organized by students on Monday, and you said, oh yeah, they talked about that. I'm like, well, I missed that. So y- you obviously retained uh, something. I guess you're right. Yesterday's uh, conference. That's right. The response to that as well uh, from the education minister uh, was something along the lines of, well, hopefully uh, the students who are considering uh, doing that will reconsider and talk to their teachers um, because they do have options. There's a a talk about this walkout because the students want a safer environment and, and what have you. And he says, you know, there are... We're working on safety, and your teachers are uh, working on it as well. So, um, but that was in there somewhere. So, I think that was, you know, what that was probably the one thing that really stood out for me when I heard that. That that was a, a sort of a key word, like, "Whoa, they're planning a yeah. walkout." Okay, that's interesting. I remember, yeah, did you ever were, were you ever part of a walkout in school, Loren? I I don't think so, but I'm starting to realize that my memory is like. Like, I went to school with my husband, and he brought up something last night, and I was like, I have zero recall of that. Like, zero. And so, I, I don't know. No. I'm going to say no. I remember, I, I, and I'm sorry to ambush you. It just, no, it just no, not hit at me. all. It just hit me. I, I've just remembered we were in one at, in grade six, and I think it had to do with um, something, what was happening in Beijing mm, at Tiananmen Square. And, uh, and I... Remember being in class, and one of the, the one of my classmates runs into the room and says, "Hey, we're walking out for a protest." And I hadn't didn't know what was happening. It clearly wasn't. It was like a last second thing that the student council organized, mm-hmm. and uh, and now my whole school at Cole Regent Park was out in the in the gym class, and all of our teachers were just stymied because they had no <laughs> idea what to do, and I didn't know what to do, and I didn't know what was happening. But uh, yeah, what about you, Mackling? You ever been in a walkout? Oh, no, just my own walkout here and there. Uh, <laughs> like, like I had a uh, skip day. <laughs> like when I when I uh, showed up for Mr. Schreier's geography class, just as the bell just as the bell finished ringing, he closed the door and he gave me that cheeky, sheepish smile that he was famous for. And we had this policy at Daniel Mack. If you had three lates in a row, it was an automatic absence. So I went down to the cafeteria and about 20 minutes into class time, Mr. Schreier comes down to the cafeteria and he says, uh, Mr. Mackling, what are you doing down here? I said, well, I said, you're going to mark me absent anyway. That's my third late <laughs> this month. So I might as well be absent. <laughs> I can play that game. <laughs> you want to mark me not there? I just won't be there. What do you say? No problem there. He, he sort of, he did the, uh, he did the look equivalent of grabbing me by my ear and dragging me up uh, three sets of stairs uh, up to the up to the second floor and uh, back to class. So, Lori Schreier, thank you uh, for uh, doing your best with me. That's all I can say. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. In our next segment, we're going to tell you how you can win yourself a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza. And it's inspired by the fact that Mackling is the latest victim of Wordle. I don't even know what this is, but it's, uh, it's like seems like it's one of the only things I see on my social media these days. So Greg's going to explain what that game is if you've never played it. And then we'll talk about games. 
and we'll chat about that, and you'll get a chance to win some pizza. So everybody wins. We get to talk games, win pizza. All right. In the meantime, um, you know what? Before that, Loren, what are we doing at 7.07? Well, we just had that chat at 6.15, Brett, about contact tracing in schools and some of the changes that are coming our way starting Monday as the kids return to in-class learning. We're going to visit with uh, one of our superintendents in Winnipeg just to get his thoughts, not just on the contact tracing, but... Man, in addition to remote learning, the schools have also been moving desks and spacing things out and trying to find ways to keep the kids at a distance again. And so I have questions for him about, well, what does that mean for some activities like band and gym, uh, after school sports? What changes might we see there? So we'll have that chat after seven. Doctors and experts are warning Manitobans about putting too much stock in newly released data on patients hospitalized because of COVID versus versus patients who were admitted to hospital for something else, screened for COVID-19, and then, Greg, tested positive. Yeah, Brett, this comes after the Manitoba Health Minister and Deputy Chief Public Health Officer said just one-third of cases at one Manitoba hospital were there due to the actual virus. Global's Brittany Greenslade has more. More Manitobans are now hospitalized with COVID-19 than at any other point during the pandemic. And one doctor says determining if the virus is the underlying issue is not always easy. It can be very difficult to actually distinguish whether somebody came into hospital with or from COVID. According to the province at Health Sciences Centre, two-thirds of people in the hospital with COVID-19 yesterday were admitted for other reasons. They're called incidental cases. But Dr. Nathan Stahl says that data should be interpreted with caution. There's no consensus definitions for incidental COVID. Um, There's no agreed upon sort of international experts that have come to a definition of this. Stahl says incidental hospitalization numbers are more complicated than they seem and don't paint the full picture of a COVID positive patient. I've certainly had patients who come in for another issue, swab positive and they get really sick from COVID-19 and even end up dying from it. An epidemiologist, Cynthia Carr, says incidental cases still have an impact on the system. They have to have the same protocols for protection to manage those patients. So it really does uh, impact the health system, regardless of the reason. Stahl says while the data is helpful for officials and healthcare workers, he has concerns about releasing it publicly. It might be useful internally for some health systems to plan for things like anticipated critical bed use or the need for therapeutics that are, we know, in short supply. But publicly putting this data out there really uh, risks uh, it being weaponized by some of the anti-vaxxers and the, the groups that are trying to downplay the pandemic. At a time when cases and hospitalizations are at an all-time high. Brittany Greenslade, Global News. So yesterday, right at this hour, actually, I shared with everyone a tweet from Dr. Tim Hebert, who works uh, at Winnipeg Hospital, HSC, and he's an internist, and and he was upset when he first learned about this a few days ago. I reached out to him and asked him for an interview, and he said he didn't want to make comments uh, on air, but I would feel free to use the comments that he had shared both in Twitter and in his message to me. And he said, you know, he can't prove why the governor doing this, he had made an, a, a question of like, is this political? Is this part of a political game? But he said the effect of breaking them down this way really just diminishes what's going on. It diminishes the concern about rising hospitalizations. 
And Dr. Hebert went on to say, bottom line, there are a lot of patients requiring hospital care. Whether their COVID diagnosis is primary or secondary has no bearing on that fact. He also went on to say it would be difficult to determine if COVID is the primary or secondary issue of an admission. A physician would need to review to determine case by case hundreds of times. We have more important things to do and people just need to accept that Omicron can still cause severe illness and take steps to protect themselves. Any message that takes away from that is a distraction. And Dr. Hebert said, you know, this involves just good masks all the time indoors. Remember, COVID is airborne, better ventilation, reduce your contacts, get vax, get those boosters and making schools safer. And so that was from Dr. Tim Hebert, who shared that with me in a a Twitter exchange yesterday, Greg, just to say, like, look, like, Go ahead and and provide that context. But remember, it's not as black and white as it seems ever. Well, I said what I had to say about this yesterday, and I'll just uh, turn it around with a question back to you, Loren. Just does this feel like semantics to you? And 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 why why all the effort to uh, to make the distinction? I, I I'm trying to wrap my head around that because people in hospital with COVID, one way or the other, is still a strain on the system. I think I hear the doctor's point when he says his concern is the effect of this is it will diminish the concern because then you can have people say, well, yeah, they, they tested positive after they got there. That's not the why, why they were there. Fair, completely fair. But we've heard several doctors come out and say, yep, but then they, the situation can turn where COVID plays a role. And bottom line, if you have 30%, 40%, 10% more people in hospital than the system is able to handle, that's... That's the line you need to listen to. And at the end of the day, the people I'm going to continue to try to hear from and get answers from are those doctors on the front lines. Those are the ones that are in there and seeing it. And when they respond by saying they're worried where this could take the conversation, I'm going to listen to that. Province reported 45 more COVID-19 hospitalizations yesterday, by the way. That brings the total to 499 people who are receiving care. Just one more patient was admitted to intensive care, bringing that total to 47. And there were also nine deaths reported. We want to talk about games, and we've got a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza up for grabs. We'll give that away at 9.15 based on your text messages. And the setup here involves something called Wordle. And as mentioned, Greg Mackling is the latest victim of this game. (laughs) So, Greg, I have no idea what Wordle is. Sum it up for us. Okay, so it was invented by a software engineer in uh, Brooklyn, New York, named Josh Wordle, W-A-R-D-L-E. And so essentially what happens here is every day there's a new Wordle. It's a puzzle. It's a five-letter word. And I was hearing on the shift overnight two nights ago, there's about 9,000 9, five-letter words in the English language. So there's lots of words to work with. And essentially what happens is you enter that random five-letter word to start your, your guessing and these puzzles come out every single day. Uh, so say you start with candy, C-A-N-D-Y. Then the so you get six guesses. And the puzzle will then tell you whether you've got any of the letters correct and whether or not you've got any of the letters correct in the right space. And then based on that knowledge, you make another guess and you work your way through the puzzle. It reminds me of Battleship, but more like Mastermind. You remember those games from when we were kids? Yeah. And so... I'm on day four, and I'm absolutely hooked on it because like you, Brett, I was seeing people on my social media 
uh, playing this game, I'm like, okay, fine. I'll give it a try. And now I'm hooked. And I think Jeff Braun is in on this too. Jeff, aren't, didn't I see you tweeting about Wordle? Yeah, absolutely. And the good thing about Wordle is it is only one puzzle per day. So, and it takes like 90 seconds to do the puzzle and that's all you can do for the whole day. So you're not wasting a whole bunch of time on it. It's just a fun little brain teaser and it takes almost no time of your day and just it's it's not like a lot of these other games where you just like look up at the clock it's like oh i've been playing this for 45 minutes what a waste of my life well what if what if somebody <laughs> does play to take more than 90 seconds though should they feel bad about themselves yes yes it, yes it should. it's not that hard <laughs> it's not, I've, I've done that just on my laptop the last three or four mornings and it's so far it's been easy to the point where i had to google if i was doing it wrong like i was like this can't be it Oh, so listen to this. Well, listen, I'm not the one that's retweeting like you two. Look at Wordle, four out of six completed. Look at me. Everybody <laughs> posting their successful Wordle challenges on Twitter so the world can see. Come on. I literally, I had to, I muted, did it I muted my today, sister Jeff. on Facebook yesterday because she was so obnoxious about it. Yeah, I've, I've seen a few people uh, tweeting about how they've had to, to mute Wordle. Um, and uh, I, I would admit that uh, it's a, for me, it's already I'm reached. moving to yes. mute Wordle. Yeah, it's already <laughs> nausea-inducing for me when I see Wordle. Like, oh, my gosh, another but Wordle thing. It's not hard. Greg, Jeff, correct. It's not It's not even too challenging no. yet. That's all no, I'm saying. It's, 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 it's fun. Just, it's fun and it's simple and it's yes. not going to, like, stump you for hours is Jeff's point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I muted you both, though. Okay. So here's what we need from you. We want you to tell us about games. And it can be favorite board game, favorite online game. But, like, we want to talk about simple games, not, like, full-blown video games. So tell us a story about a board game or the silly little games we play to distract ourselves on our phones or our computers for a chance to win. So let's go around the horn here. Poitras, what you got? Well, I have Restaurant Dash, which was a game, a Gordon Ramsay game. I'm a big Gordon Ramsay fan. Um, and I, I gotten so far in that game. I never spent a penny on my phone, but I've gotten so far in it that I just can't bring myself to delete it, even though I haven't played it in like a year and a half. Cause it's just, now they're like, they're like constantly making me load stuff every single time. I think they're trying to edge me out of the game because I haven't spent any money. Uh, that's at least my conspiracy theory anyways, but I got cribbage on here. I got Sudoku. I like to do Sudokus every now and then. Uh, and, uh, I, I also go into these loops. Like I, I was playing a golf game. I was playing a dart game most recently and I had to delete it because I was just every time, like I've, I've like the attention span of like a goldfish. So every single time, like my brain would just like shut down for like two seconds ago, like, oh, put on my phone, start playing a dart game. And I was just wasting so much freaking time playing darts. I wasn't listening to people when they were talking to me. I was playing the stupid <laughs> dart game. I'd be with friends. I'd be playing the stupid dart game. So I had, to, I had to delete it. And so I'm avoiding bringing on any more of these into my life. What's that dart game called? Uh, I don't know. Just it's like the number one. It's like Dart Clash or something. You play against other people across the across the planet, and I got to be pretty good at it. I stunk in the beginning, but uh, I had I, it had to go. It had to go. Okay. Any commentary going on in the background? One hundred and eighty. Yes. On? Yeah, there was, and it. I never hit a one hundred eighty. I had one hundred and forty was the best I ever hit. Never got three in a row, which uh, is one of my great regrets. <laughs> Forte, what about you? 
There's a game I play here that I haven't played in forever, but on my cell phone. It's called Cut the Rope, and the object is there's a piece of candy on a rope, and you have to feed it to this little green, he's very cute, this green alien-looking guy. His name is Omnom, because once he gets the candy, Omnom, nom, nom, nom. Um, <laughs> but anyways, yeah, so, so you have to cut the rope, and the candy will fall, and it could fall into a bubble, and the bubble raises, and there's little air things that you press, and you, you just try to get the candy to Omnom, and uh, it can... It could take time out of your day, like half an hour, easy. Om nom, I like that. Um, Mackling, uh, other than Wordle, oh yeah, I like the pool game. I was on that dart game for a while there as well, Cam. Maybe a different yeah. one, uh, playing against a buddy of mine, and and that's fun. I can get lost in that pool game that you can uh, get on your phone as well. I went down uh, that one too. Against friends, yeah. Oh, that 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 one is kind of fun because. Uh, Gets the competitive juices going, especially if you're playing against somebody. But I, I guess for me, it, it still will always be Popomatic Trouble, the easiest mindless kids game. You, you used to love to break that out uh, with the kids every once in a while. And, and uh, you know, if you were lucky, you could beat them down. It was always nice to land on them and send them back home. You know, you get a little vicious playing that game. Uh, Loren, what do you got? I don't have any games on my phone, if I'm being honest, but I we have a ton of board games in this house. To Cam's point, I love a good game of cribbage. I have a ton of fun with that. But right now I'm looking at a foosball table that the kids got for Christmas, just um, one was used in online and we've been playing a lot of that which is so much fun and then last night because we have all these renos going on upstairs and the kitchen's basically not usable we ordered a pizza and came downstairs to this mess and it was like where are we going to set it and i was like use the foosball table and then i became joey and chandler on friends and nobody got mm-hmm. that reference so uh i'm going with foosball right <laughs> I was now thinking it. <laughs> and uh Bron, just very quickly jeff uh, i got a game called toy blast on my phone i've been playing for a few years i'm there's 6,000 levels, and I finished them. I'm into bonus levels. They put out oh. 50 new levels every two weeks, and I just tear through them. It's sort of like a Candy Crush-style game, except it requires a little bit more uh, skill. It's a little less random. It's a lot of fun. All right, so tell us a story about the games you like to play, whether it's a board game or it's an online game. We don't really want to get into like actual like full-blown video game territory, but if you play like a cute little game on your phone, tell us about that, 204-780-6868. If you have a story associated, even better for your chances to win that. $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza, which we will give away at 9.15. But right now we want to talk about how schools will no longer notify close contacts on individual cases of COVID-19. It's all part of a change to contact tracing as students get set to head back to class on Monday. Public health officials will still be involved and give advice if transmission appears to be above expected community levels, Loren. Yeah, so we saw this move uh, uh, about a month or so ago when, when public health said that they just didn't have the capacity for contact tracing, but they were going to still do it in schools. And now that's changing. So letters that you might have received back in December, October, November, you won't be getting those anymore. And of course, it's not the only change that's coming uh, in a few days, depending on your school situation or the size of your school. Your kids might be going back to class, you know, spread out between two classrooms. Maybe they are being moved to the gym for spacing or to a choir room or other. Brian O'Leary is the superintendent of the Seven Oaks School Division and joins us now. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Lauren. So let's start with that contact tracing piece. What are you hearing from staff after that announcement yesterday? Uh, From principals, a a bit of relief. And really, a lot of the contact tracing said, uh, you know, watch for symptoms. 
uh, keep your kids home if they're symptomatic. And that advice um, is essentially advice that we're doubling down on. Uh, parents really do need uh, to keep their kids home if they're symptomatic. Watch those symptoms. Uh, we are also, and as an added measure, uh, we've sent home with all of our K to six students. Uh, uh, set a rapid test so that parents can test kids, um, and that will keep some kids who are infectious, even uh, asymptomatic ones at home. Uh, the, the, the volume of cases and the level of community spread is such that uh, it's really not realistic uh, for us to, to contact trace uh, in the same way. Um, the other, the other uh, factor at work here is uh, public health officials advise schools that uh, uh, there, there really aren't serious outcomes uh, 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 to most of our students uh, from this virus. So uh, uh, if we keep masks on, if we socially distance as much as we can, and especially if parents keep their kids home if they're symptomatic, uh, we're taking the steps we need to to mitigate uh, the spread. Brian, I hear what you're saying in terms of the spread and the challenge here, but at the same time, you use the word relief. The principals are feeling relief, and I'm curious why that might be, because Parents might be thinking, well, okay, hang on. Now I have to wait for my child to come home and say, hey, so-and-so has COVID or wait for that parent to contact me and then wonder if I am, a, if my kids are a close contact. So why are principals feeling that relief? Because you listed all the things that have um, to happen to make it work, I'll, right? In, in, the, in the previous waves, uh, the cases uh, generally when, when the waves peaked, uh, were, were far more than uh, public health could keep up with. So principals were doing most of the contact tracing, uh, making phone calls. We had principals who were doing it literally all weekend, every weekend. Um, and that was when we were getting 500 cases in a day in the previous waves. Uh, when the cases are in the thousands, uh, um, it, it's simply not possible. And, and we do have to push back on individuals to be more responsible. Um, the distribution of rapid tests uh, will really help in that, uh, and, and I think doubling down on the advice. Uh, the, the other huge protective factor uh, that we have at work now is the vaccination levels. So particularly for older kids in the 12 to 17-year age range, um, our vaccination levels in the city are, are pretty close to 90%. Uh, for the younger cohort, we're increasing that number every day. It's at 50%. So there's significant protection uh, from serious outcomes through vaccination. And that's also protection against spread. So uh, what about the, the the level of of staff shortages here? Conversations about absenteeism yesterday, Brian, with regard to uh, whether or not maybe a, a class as an individual class might go to remote remote learning based on case numbers within the class what how comfortable and how confident are you with regard to the your staffing levels that you'll be able to actually you know instruct students uh, for the next uh, several weeks moving forward uh, through the worst of this wave here uh, we're feeling good about it we've um, essentially approached a number of our substitutes who work part-time a number of retired teachers and said would you commit to working uh, every day through January and February uh, and there's been a fair take up of that. Um, there will be cases and, and parents should know um, if we're getting rep- you know, multiple cases reported in a class um, and, and we do think there is some spread in the class, we may send the class home, but likely for a shorter period, about a week. Um, and then, then we would certainly provide support for remote instruction. Uh, we think we can uh, be covering classroom absences uh, and we'll be drawing on 
resource teachers, counselors, some uh, substitutes, but people who aren't normally in, in classrooms on a daily basis uh, to assist with that. So we think we'll be okay, uh, but it is a concern. Uh, parents should be uh, aware that we may need, uh, we may run into a shortage of bus drivers uh, and there may be some need to cancel some runs. We'll try and limit that as much as we can. Brian O'Leary, superintendent of the Seven Oaks School Division, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Brian, thank you very much for this. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we just had a conversation um, just after the Global News at 7 o'clock, in case you're just tuning in now, with Brian O'Leary, superintendent of the Seven Oaks School Division, Loren. Yeah, and he used a word that caught me by surprise a bit about the contact tracing because I know there's some people saying, whoa, 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 we should continue with that in schools. And he said, well, principals are actually feeling relief. And I said, why why relief? What's that about? And he just talked about the fact that it was getting to the point they were so busy, so consumed with contact tracing in some cases that they'd be spending all hours after school on weekends reaching out to parents, reaching out to people to let them know that they'd been identified as a close contact. And in my own house, we'd receive letters at 7, 8, 9 p.m. some nights because they were at the schools trying to sort out who was and wasn't. And it hadn't crossed my mind, Greg, at that point to realize, yeah, like that's a lot of effort. We talked about the public health officials being overwhelmed with contact tracing. Well, that's not what a principal's primary job is supposed to be within the school system. So the sheer volume of work it was putting on them wasn't just something I had considered up until that statement. Yeah, and think about the amount of time that it takes to get a, a test uh, done, to find a test, to get an appointment, to get the result, etc. Dr. Rusin mentioned yesterday, you know, it's more of a three-day period, the incubation period, and then when you pass it on, and when you realize that you're getting symptoms from when you caught it. So that time has condensed uh, by at least a day or two uh, versus the Delta variant. So that's posing other issues as well and concerns. So uh, the rapid tests, I was happy to hear that those are in the hands of, of parents in Seven Oaks. That's a great tool to to realize and to see where you're at. And, and let's face it, um, we're so connected with uh, our kids and the kids are connected with each other. They, they can get that message out really quickly if we give them permission to do that. So as much as it feels like public health is letting us down in the eyes of a lot of people, this, this is really, I don't want to say it's more efficient, but it's more timely for sure. And maybe they're one in the same, but, but this, this, isn't, uh, this isn't the end of the world in my mind, the fact that we're going down this road, you know? Keep your kids home if they're sick. And if you find out that you're positive on a, on a test, share that information freely with, with, your, with your cohort, with your classmates. I, I think that's sound advice. Our question of the day, by the way, at cjob.com has been updated. It's for Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204-832-6243. The online game Wordle is taking over social media. What is your go-to distraction for games? Board games, video slash online games, cards, or puzzles? The couch potatoes have assembled, so first of all, hello again, Jeff Braun. Hello! All right, so the reason why Fortier is playing that music is because when you look at the two big releases this week, you'd think it's October, because new in theaters this week... Hello? It's happening. Three attacks so far. Do you have a gun? I'm Sydney Prescott. Of course I have a gun. 
is Scream. Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, and David Arquette are back for the fifth movie in this franchise that goes back to 1996, which was a landmark film that kind of sends up and has a lot of fun with the tropes of horror movies, but it's also a really good, scary movie. I don't know why, though, they're calling this one Scream instead of Scream 5. Uh, That's going to create, I would imagine, some confusion, Jeff. Yeah, well, just I, for the rest of time, whenever you type it into a search engine, you're going to have to differentiate between the 1996 and 2021, and it's just silly. I, I guess they do it to try to take away from the, the the focus that it's the fifth movie. They don't want a big five on the poster because that just, you know, with a horror movie and a five, nothing could ever came from that. So I, I sort of get it that way, but, I mean, honestly, it's just stupid to... Have the same title for the movie. Now, Loren, you like scary movies. Did you like Scream? I, I like the first one, and I think I watched the second one. I did not watch the third and fourth. No, I thought it was quite good, and I like kind of the. I, I like Arquette and Courtney Cox and Nev Campbell. Like, I think they were all kind of fun and knew what they were doing in this. I was wondering in your script, you've typed Scream with an exclamation point. Is there an exclamation point in the first one? I was wondering if that was the different factor. No, no, no? that's just okay. me. Well, all right. <laughs> Just so you say scream. <laughs> Indeed. Now, Mackling, you I, you don't like scary movies, right? Not overall, but Scream, I, I like uh, Scream 1 and 2. I have not seen 3 and 4, but uh, I definitely will see this. I don't think I'll go and see it at the theater, but I will watch it when it comes out on video on demand. Uh, I'm a big fan of a, a lot of the actors uh, in this series, and I do like the way it uh, pokes fun at the genre. So it's right up my alley. Yeah, Scream 3 was meh, and 4 four was okay. It was an interesting sort of advancement of the story with some pretty good performances, but it was, in the end, it was just kind of forgettable. Like, it, the first one is easily the best, and 2 is pretty good, too. Um, so that is new in theaters this week. Also, worth pointing out as well, it's the first one uh, without, of course, the late Wes Craven, who is the mastermind behind this series. Now, Jeff, what do we have? Um, well, here, I'll, I'll just play this clip to set it up. On January 14th, Family Movie Night is getting revamped. Only on Prime Video. So what do we have on Prime? We've got uh, the fourth movie in this uh, sort of horror series. It's a kid's cartoon. It's Hotel Transylvania Transformania. For centuries, no human has had the power to become a monster. Until now. But is it safe, though? Let's find out. So Dracula's human son-in-law, Johnny, wants to be embraced by the family. He seeks out Van Helsing to turn himself into a monster. But in doing so, he turns Dracula and his fellow monsters into humans. Now, JB, your girlfriend has kids, uh, which means you often get to watch some entertaining family movies. Have you seen any of these? I have not. I tried to get them into it once just because there were three of them, you know, before this fourth one. So I was like, ooh, if we if they like the first one, then we got a couple of easy bangers for the next couple of Kids Night movies or whatever. <laughs> Requires uh, less searching and thinking on my part. But no, they weren't interested in that. So I uh, have not seen these. Okay. Loren, what about you and your boys? Yeah, we have. And they're quite good. And, I'm, uh, and they're pretty funny and clever. So I'll give this a shot, I think. And Mackling, is this something you're into? 
Well, the first one, yes, uh, just matched up with the kids' ages and and just like a good episode of Sesame Street, there's just enough adult humor snuck mm-hmm. in. I found to to keep the keep mom and dad entertained. So uh, yeah, I might give this one a, a, a crack as well. Yeah, and speaking of that uh, adult humor, <laughs> you're human, Drag Dad. Oh no, I have a total dad bod. <laughs> so we've got 76% for Scream on Rotten Tomatoes, 54% for Hotel Transylvania, Transformania, but I don't think the kids are going to care what the critics say about that one. So that's available on Prime, Scream New in theaters. Uh, and uh, unfortunately for, you know, for those who are um, out in areas where the theaters are shut down, there's no on-demand option for Scream. Uh, so uh, thankfully they're still open in Manitoba. Jeff Brock. Thank you very much, sir. You betcha. Couch Potatoes airs Saturdays at noon, Sundays at 6 on 680 CJOB, or you can get the show in podcast form. That is already available anywhere you get podcasts. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, just want to give you a heads up that there is something wrong with our text line at 204-780-6868. The last text message we received was at 7.12 a.m., and I checked with our colleagues down the hall at Power 97 and Peggy at 99.1. We all used the same platform, and uh, they, same thing. Their, their text lines are down as well. So hopefully we'll get that back going soon because we got a contest for that $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza based on your text messages on the games that you like to play. If you got a story about a board game, you got a story about an online game, maybe uh, you know you developed a, some sort of a, an unhealthy addiction to uh, Angry Birds or something. Like Cam said he had to delete a dart game from his phone because he was playing it too much. It was distracting him from his friends and whatnot. So uh, hopefully that text line... Gets back going soon. We'll let you know when it does. If you are looking to buy a home this year, you can expect to pay a lot more than you would have this time last year. Yeah, housing prices. Of course, we know they've been climbing steadily for years now. And according to a survey that just came out this morning from Royal LePage, it looked at the last quarter, so from 2020 to 2021. And in that year-over-year period, the median price of a single-family detached home jumped 14%. So it's averaging 390000 Condos saw a 16% increase. They're now selling for around $233,000 uh, in that year-over-year period, Greg. Yeah, Michael Fraze is a broker and manager at Royal LePage Primer Real Estate here in Winnipeg and joins us now. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. So uh, it's sort of a two-headed monster, this, isn't it? Uh, what's driving, first of all, before we get into the discussion, what's driving these prices? Yeah, well, I mean, in, in its simplest form, right, we're talking supply and demand, right? And that's what dictates uh, dictates prices. And so, you know, over the last two years especially, I mean, that since the pandemic, right, we've just seen exponential, uh, you know, price appreciation that uh, Winnipeg doesn't typically see, that the Canada doesn't typically see. And uh, so it's fueled really the, the demand. If you look at that side of things, um, you know, the world has just gotten, a, you know, a huge advertisement for the importance of home. Uh, I think all of us, you know, the importance of home has been increased over this pandemic. And it's become, you know, home has become or, you know, we're, we're working from home, we're teaching from home, we're working out from home. Uh, you know, it's become everything to us, and the importance of home is, has definitely increased. Uh, and then it coupled with the fact that, hey, let's, let's be real, the, um, you know, the federal government has pumped in billions and billions of dollars into the economy. 
Um, Canadians had nowhere to travel for two years, <laughs> nowhere to spend the money, and home was important. And then interest rates were at an all-time low. So money was cheap and accessible, and they needed, and Canadians wanted to spend it at home. And so that's what's really fueling the demand. And in 2021, even now with increased immigration, we're expecting that demand uh, to continue. Um, and then on the supply side of things, um, that's just we didn't have enough supply to, to satisfy that demand. And when you don't, you know, and supply is one of those unfortunate things. It doesn't get solved overnight, right? Homes don't get built in a month. Uh, and especially with supply chain, uh, supply chain backups and delays uh, and building prices going up, you know, that doesn't, uh, doesn't help things on the supply side as well. And then lastly, you know, just the bureaucracy of um, development, right? There's a lot of red tape to cut through, and it takes a long time to, for parcels of land to get developed. So, again, that supply issue um, is just something that doesn't get solved overnight. So you kind of have these two big factors kind of colliding, which is, which is driving up prices. What about uh, first-time home buyers? What are they telling you? Well, first-time buyers are definitely feeling the pressure. Um, you know, I'll say, you know, as um, uh, as much as the pressure is here in Winnipeg, as I look, you know, the report across Canada, so the national average in- increase was 21%. Uh, so we're, uh, Winnipeg is under that, thankfully. Uh, but uh, So it's worse in other places. But, uh, yeah, they're feeling the pressure. And so what first-time buyers are having to do right now is, I mean, um, there was a report out, I think it was through CIBC, don't correct me, I might be wrong on that, but um, more Canadians are, are borrowing from the bank of mom and dad uh, than ever before. And so um, they're having to go to, you know, again, mom and dad to get the money uh, as well. They're looking at alternative housing types right now as well. Um, Winnipeg is predominantly single-family homes, um, but those see the, the largest price appreciation. So they're looking to other more affordable ways, uh, condos, single-family attached homes, townhomes, even buying duplexes and renting out one side. Uh, they're kind of seeing any way they can get into the market is a good way to get into the market. So we're seeing them kind of migrate to some alternative housing types that are more affordable. Going to mom and dad because they can't get that loan through the bank or their mortgage through a provider or because they're worried about interest rates going up. You know, Michael, just in our last segment, we had uh, a conversation about the concern that inflation rate can go up and, and first-time buyers, any homeowner, might get caught, really pinched. So what? why going to mom and dad? I'm asking as yeah, a mom, mom and dad. dad who's, who... <laughs> yeah, well, primarily for mom and dad uh, for down payments. Um, right, because you know, five percent of you know, say you know, of you know, three hundred thousand, you know, a couple of year, a few years ago, and now it's four hundred thousand. Right, there's just an increase in uh, in savings needed for the down payment. So that's where we typically see it as the down payment, and also to come in um, potentially. Uh, just with the stronger down payment, stronger deposits to win in, in multiple offer situations and, you know, quote-unquote bidding wars. Um, so that's typically where we, where we see it um, is in loans uh, for, um, for down payments. People really, a lot of people don't like these bidding wars. Michael, we, we got to let you go here, but a, a comment on that. And, and is, is, it, is it an unfair way to go about things? Uh, you know, we've heard the federal government talk about uh, blind bidding. And maybe taking away that option. What's your take on that, real quick? Yeah, well, you know what? It's it's not a perfect system that we have in Manitoba, but it's a system. Um, there's provinces that don't have any rules, any regulations, any protocols around around blind bidding, uh, and we're actually pretty stringent here in Manitoba. And so, um, do I think it's going to curb uh, if it goes to in you know an auction style format or remove blind bidding? Uh, you know, some consumers might appreciate that, some sellers might not. Um, do I think the it's going to trump the house or it's going to, you know, have an effect on house appreciation and prices? I don't, because supply and demand dictate that, not how homes are bought. Um, and so I don't see that being a, you know, there's a case study in Australia, they have, um, they have open bidding and their price appreciation is just as high as Canada. So uh, I don't see that being a huge impact on prices, but 
you know, the consumer definitely might appreciate it. Um, but we'll see. Michael Fraze, a broker and manager at Royal LePage Prime Real Estate here in Winnipeg, joining us live on The Start. Michael, thank you very much for this. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. We're asking you to tell us about those favorite games and video games, and this time of year can be tough for many of us in the the best of times, just because, you know, a lot of us don't like the cold. So a good game or puzzle might be the prescription to brighten any mood. So yesterday we were talking about hobbies that you would like to do or have rediscovered during the pandemic. And of course, puzzles came up a lot in that conversation. And so with that in mind, Greg, we were thinking, let's go to Manitoba's best, perhaps, source for puzzles of all sizes. That's right. We say good morning to the mastermind behind Marla's Puzzle Pantry, Marla Aronovich. Good morning, Marla. Good morning. Tell us about your relationship with puzzles prior to creating the Puzzle Pantry. Um, you know what? I um, I really started to do it when um, I got really bored when I was pregnant. So, <laughs> you know, you don't want to do anything, right? Who wants to, on a nice July day, go for a walk when they're eight months pregnant? So I started puzzling, and I tried to do it as the kids got older, and then it... You know, once we got the dog who would jump on the table and eat the pieces, I took a little break. But now once the dog was older and couldn't jump anymore and the kids were older, I got right back into it and then I couldn't stop. So yesterday we had uh, one of our listeners, uh, Tyson or maybe Tyler, uh, shared with us a picture of a 4,000-piece puzzle 4,000-piece puzzle of the world map he completed. It was just beautiful. How big can these puzzles get? Uh, there's one company. There's actually two companies who make puzzles that are 42,000 pieces. Oh, come on. What? Yeah, yeah. They're 42,000 pieces. They sell for about $700, and uh, they come in uh, 10 different bags. So it oh. sort of breaks the puzzle up, but you can actually mix all 10 bags together, and away you go. But it's almost like you need a warehouse floor to do it. <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm chewing my fingernails while you talk about this. It's filling me with just the anxiety of the mess from that. So what oh, would yeah. be like, what would be the space that you would need? And you said warehouse, but do you have a sense of like how large a 42,000 piece puzzle would be, Marla? You know, I can't right now I, in my mind, I can't. Uh, well, well, if you look at the fact that a thousand piece puzzle is 20 by 27 and right. that's in inches. So you can imagine if you want to times that by 42. I'm looking at a picture of this thing right now. It looks like <laughs> it. Lo- you you you're right. You would base. It looks like something you would see in an art gallery. Um, yeah. If you just uh, I, I found it, just Google forty two thousand piece puzzle, Loren. It is huge. This would take up. Uh, this is as wide as my apartment, pretty much. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's huge, huge, huge. But the, the largest one I carry is six thousand pieces. Oh, they come in nine thousand. Yeah, I do have a six thousand one in stock right now. Oh, wow. I, I, you know, I have friends, Marla, that are really, and family members that have really gotten into it this year. They'll be up at two in the morning finishing the puzzle. And so I get the craze that's out there. Tell us about how Marla's puzzle pantry came to be. So, well, what happened was I decided that I, I was looking for something to do as an extra hobby. And I wanted to start just bringing in what I wanted. And I thought I might as well get it wholesale. Why, you know, just order online or whatever. And so, um, I had friends who owned a store, and I asked if I could 
bring some in and I started contacting Canadian companies and they said sure and they we they put it in their store and then um, at some point in time they just said to me you know Marla it's there's all these vendor markets happening you know Christmas craft sales you should really be there with your puzzles and so I started doing that and then uh, eventually it just grew from like two or three companies that I was dealing to to 10 and I sort of left the store and and just spent you know really from Oh, about May to December at vendor markets and craft fairs and Christmas craft shows and and whatever vendor market I could find um, and just would load up my car, take my tent and away I'd go. So one of the big issues, not only when you're doing these uh, these on the road markets, obviously you have to pack up and reload and and it's uh, kind of a, a busy thing to do, lucrative, I imagine. But one of the big issues with with puzzling is where to keep the puzzles when you're not doing them. And maybe you have guests come over. And yesterday we had people talking to us uh, about uh, puzzle boards and, and a device for rolling up your puzzles. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about those things and the, and the different things that you can use to, to stay organized. So the puzzle doesn't take over your entire house. Okay. So I have actually, I, I use what's called a puzzle table. It's, a, uh, it's, uh, it's made especially for puzzling, and it, it it's usually takes a thousand-piece puzzle. It's got drawers in it, et cetera, and that's where I do my puzzling. But a lot of people don't have that ability. So I do sell, they're called puzzle roll-up mats. So you do the puzzle on it, and then you can roll it up, um, t- tie sort of like a like bands across it, and then it, um, it can hang in your closet, it can go under your bed, it can do that. Um, I have accessory trays so people can um, organize their puzzle pieces, whether they do it by shape or by color, and they um, pile up on top of each other so you're not all spread out when you spread out when you need to um, uh, to uh, to get company coming and have everything out of the way. I also have um, uh, what are called puzzle glue sheets, so that if you determine that you want to save your puzzle and 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 keep it together, basically what you get to do is you flip the puzzle around and then you put these glue sheets on the bottom of the puzzle and it will keep the puzzle together. I don't like gluing or mosh podging the top of the puzzle because um, it will go in between the cracks sometimes and it can ruin the puzzle. So I I suggest puzzle sheets. But I am going to tell you the easiest way. And when I first started, what I did instead of a puzzle roll up mat. Um, I suggest a puzzle roll-up mat, but I also, um, I, I say, remember kids' science fair project boards? That yes. full, you have the two sides. The in, yes. inner part of it will fit a thousand-piece puzzle. And so if you've got company coming and it's on the dining room table, if you just close the two sides and walk very steadily, you can just put it underneath your couch, put it underneath your bed, and it's hidden away. So if you need like a $10 uh, solution to getting that puzzle out of the way. I, I suggest the science fair boards. That's a great oh, yeah. tip. I uh, although just thinking of the, about those science boards gives me anxiety <laughs> to sci- the various science fairs that I tanked in junior high. Just thinking about carrying the puzzle carefully after you work so hard in it is making me. Anxious. You can do it. You can do it. I had to do it once down a flight of stairs. You can oh, do no. it. <laughs> Any hints on strategies, Marla? Like. Uh, I don't know, for example, where do you start? Do you like to start with the edges? I'm a person that I do start with the edges, and then I usually separate by color. Um, That's how I do it. But there's some people who like the challenge of just starting in the middle or starting with pieces that look like they go together and then slowly, you know, having it all come together. But I am somebody who starts with the edges. 
Before we let you go, I just, you know, I've heard so many people talk about how it's a great escape for them, a really good space for them to go to, particularly maybe now more than ever. But man, puzzles can be therapy. I mean, these are used in hospitals and in all sorts of situations for people to to really exercise the mind. Yes. Yeah. There's tons of articles about there about the benefits of puzzling um, for how it uses the both the left and the right side of the brain, how it's similar to crossword puzzles and um, you know, with people with dementia and Alzheimer's, how, how it really um, helps them. It's a de-stressor. Um, it, there, there's just tons of benefits to it. Um, and less time on, you know, digital devices. It can be very meditative. There's lots of benefits to puzzling. Well, I can tell you from personal experience, when I was rehabilitating my brain injury over 20 years ago, puzzling and object assembly puzzles was a big part of uh, my therapy and uh, for almost two years, that's what I did with my psychologist was work on these object assembly puzzles. And, and it really does uh, help you get things going and, and firing again. And just for the record, I've done the math, Brett, that 42,000 uh, piece puzzle, uh, just the way it's set up. It's sort of a longer puzzle, 24 feet, six <laughs> inches by five feet, one inch. <laughs> There you go. That's, That's the gift that you get, give someone if you truly don't like them, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Here. Here is a giant puzzle that you can't fit anywhere that's going to make you lose your mind. Merry Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Marla Aronovich from Marla's Puzzle Pantry. Thank you very much for joining us, Marla. This has been a real treat. Thanks for having me. And Have I've a great l- weekend. You too, Marla. And we, I've, put, uh, I've put a link to her... Instagram page on our 680CJOB Instagram story. She's got some wonderful puzzles for you to choose from. Uh, Some really colorful stuff like, uh, you know... I I require lots of visual stimulation and the colors that are exploding off of these puzzles. Uh, just really some really cool imagery there to work with. So great, great <laughs> stuff, Greg. Thanks for uh, bringing Marla on the show with us. Absolutely. You can thank Brendan for ordering up that thousand piece puzzle on his own. Just uh, dug into his pile of of uh, what do you call it? Gift cards that he'd had for nice. kicking around. And uh, this puzzle shows up at our house and Yeah, he knocked it out in three or four hours. I couldn't believe it. (laughs) Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, and Marshawn. Gabrielle Marshawn, host of Global News Morning on which television station, Greg Mackling? Channel 9, Cable 12, CKND, Winnipeg. Hi, Gabby. Hi. Hi, Greg, that was amazing. I'm going to talk like that this whole weekend, except I'll be by myself in my apartment, so it might get really weird. <laughs> Happy Friday. You need to get like a typewriter for it. Uh-huh. Oh. The character came down the street. She, and then suddenly I'm smoking a pipe. Oh, yes. no, and then I'm getting kicked out of my apartment. This is escalated. Wow. <laughs> Get out of nowhere, fedora with a little press uh, sign on the on the side there. I'm here hey, to tell hey, you hey, the news. Hey. She tune in six to nine every morning. <laughs> so one of the things we talked about this week was chores. Chores you don't want anyone else doing. The chores you're not allowed to do because you suck at them. So what do you got for us there? Well, I really love doing the dishes. I find it so relaxing, and I've actually gotten to the point where I feel anxiety if there are a lot of dishes in the sink. Like, it's hard for me, physically hard for me in the morning, even at 3 a.m., to leave my house if I can see plates in the sink. I mean, there's just me, so it's not a lot to clean up, but there's just something about it I enjoy. But I thought I was really good at it, and uh, I enjoy doing it. And then one time an ex-boyfriend was like, 
why is there all this stuff on the plate still? And he, I realized that I, although I enjoy doing dishes, maybe I'm not doing such a thorough job of it. Really? Yeah. Like what kind of stuff was left like on the plate? There's just like a little, there's like some gunk on the plate, some gunk on some forks too. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm not as great at dishes as I thought. This is awkward. <laughs> I'm like that with like pots and pans. Like it's clean-ish. Ish. Because you're like, it's, it's going to all just, it's just food. It's all going to blend nicely together. But like a plate has to be clean and the fork is not, if it's not clean, is more gross. But I'm not overly stressed about my pots. Lauren, <laughs> every time you speak, I think I just want to sit down and have a glass of wine or whiskey with this woman. Like I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your approach to life. So thank you. Which is which is filthy. <laughs> Laissez faire. My mom, bless her heart. I always had to like she uh, great cook, terrible at dishes. And when she would do the dishes, she she would. And I would always think like, how did she get these done so fast? And then I realized eventually she got them done quickly because she was doing a lousy. She wasn't cleaning them. <laughs> So then I'd have to, I'd be, I'd take, take them off the rack to put them away and realize, nope, this isn't clean. Got to rewash this. Nope, oh. that's not clean. Got to rewash that. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. So I can, I can relate, Gabby. Maybe she was doing it to get you more involved. Yes. Teaching you a lesson there. <laughs> Let's go with that. I, you know what? I wouldn't put it past her. Greg? <laughs> Sorry. I just, uh, I'm, I, I know that uh, Gabby and I have a shared passion for the uh, Netflix show uh, uh, Emily in Paris. And the, the chef, isn't his name Gabrielle? He oh, says, yeah. really, you're yeah, not supposed yeah. to wash the pan. You're not supposed to wash the omelet pan. Flavor. You're just supposed to just wipe it out, right? Yeah. If that handsome Netflix character says that's how you should live life, I'm going to go with that, that based on that chef. fake TV show. 100%, <laughs> Greg. Thank you for that. Don't wash your pants. Leave the crust. I thought the I show was back. called Emily in Paris. Paris. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I think I thought that. I think that's. I, really? How it's, yeah. Oh. Well, that makes sense. It sort of rhymes, right? Emily, I'm Paris. Yeah. Mm. I, would oui, think, oui, I would oui. think a fan of the show would know that there, Mackling. I, don't know, just, uh, <laughs> I got roped into this thing. Uh, we I'm, are I'm, taking I'm... away your beret immediately. <laughs> I'll hand it in. School mishaps. Yeah, I was actually a really bad student, uh, especially towards the end of my high school career. Not to like put this on my parents, but they were sort of absent in my final year of school and didn't really notice what I was up to. And I would just, I didn't want, if I didn't do my homework or wasn't ready for test, I would just simply go home. And I did that <laughs> so often that they actually phoned my parents in my grade 12 year and they're like, look, her grades are okay, but she's not going to graduate if she has any more absences because she has so many unexplained absences. And my dad had to go in and he was humiliated. I still feel bad. He brings it up every now and then. He's like, remember when you skipped more days of school than you went? Yeah. Is that when you say and remember that you you were absent? Yeah. Did yeah. you just say no. they were they were kind of absent? Well, kind of, yes. Yeah, I guess it's like the two-way guilt trip. We bug each other a lot, but uh <laughs> yeah, I missed a lot. What about you guys? Were you studious students? Macklin, oh, no. I start? still have an outstanding uh project on Julius Caesar from grade 7. <laughs> 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 I got to finish that one of these days. <laughs> um, I take it you didn't get a passing grade on that, Greg? I have no idea how it all went down. I got promoted from grade 7 to grade 8. That's all that really mattered at the end of the day for me. So Ain't that the yeah, truth. Yeah, sorry. Loren? I was decent, I think. I don't know if I was an easy student to have, but I the grades were were pretty good. Like Wait, I can, yeah. Did you challenge your teachers? Were you the, the student asking the tough questions as you do as an adult? <laughs> 
I don't know. I feel like I can't answer this one honestly. No, I don't think so. I think I just challenged them with like some attitude problems, probably. Yeah, so. well, I, that, that just means you're passionate. <laughs> or it means you care. Fiery, that Minidosa tood. Hey, we're talking today about uh, games and board games or pu- puzzles, uh, online games, Like, because Greg's into this Wordle business now. Are you? Do you like the Wordle? What's Wordle? <laughs> oh, no. That's okay. I, it's, it's, it's just sort of exploded in popularity in, like, what, the last couple of weeks, Greg? Yeah, last couple of weeks for sure. It went from, like, about 90 people playing together uh, six months ago or thereabouts, and then now it's, like, millions of people across the planet. It's just it, it only takes a few minutes of your time, Gabby, every single day. And it's just one word. It's a five-letter word. You just—it's like a—I likened it to a Battleship, or more like Mastermind. You remember that game where you guess the color and the sequence and all that sort of stuff? And yes, you have the right color in the wrong spot, or the right color in the right spot, and then you could guess again. You get six cracks at it, and uh, it's sort of like crack. People are very much addicted <laughs> to it. I love Battleship. This all makes sense, though, now. You posted something on Twitter. It was all these colored squares. I think I liked it. I thought you were trying to, like, make a flag or something. Turns <laughs> out you were talking about Wordle. should have been a white flag. I surrender to Wordle. <laughs> okay, I have been enlightened. Consider me educated on Wordle now. Gabrielle Marchand is the host of Global News Morning. Monday to Friday, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. on Global Winnipeg, a.k.a. CKND. Gabby, pleasure as always. Happy Friday, Shane. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we have our winner for the Santa Lucia Pizza $20 gift card on your texts on games, board games, online games like Wordle. And we'll read the winning text in a moment, but we want to spend a couple of minutes on something that we were going to maybe bring up yesterday, but we just didn't have time. If you just Google Global News Vitamix, you will find headlines like BC Cats Hold owner's blender box hostage or find the joy how three BC cats and a Vitamix blender are spreading happiness worldwide. This is one of the funniest things I've, I've one of the funniest stories, Greg, I think I've ever seen. Yeah. So this couple in uh, BC, they got a Vitamix before Christmas. Great big box. I think I would say it's about 18 inches to two feet tall. And uh, it sat on their kitchen floor, and right away they had three cats. Right away, one of the cats jumped on it and said, uh, this shall be my throne, henceforth. And then another cat came along and said, you get off of there. Bottom line is, for several weeks now, one of the three cats has always been on that box. And so the couple reached out to Vitamix and said, hey, can you send us a couple decoy boxes? Something, anything? Yeah, that's not working either. So thousands of people are following this story every day and want to know what's going on with the cats and the Vitamix box that's being essentially held hostage, Loren. Have you seen the movie The Secret Life of Pets? And it sort of, it's the pets, when they're left alone, what do they get up to? And one of the dogs, I think it's like a wiener type dog, will go... (laughs) Just makes me think that this is plausible. They use the blender, like a kind of like a, I know it's not a Vitamix, but for massages in the cartoon. <laughs> they, dog crawls under the blender, the thing, and it hits start and it goes. And it makes me think that they have a plan here. Like if the owner left long enough, these cats would be doing something with that blender. They're I, thinking. 
I wouldn't be surprised. Cats, um, one of this this girl I dated like 20 years ago, she had two cats named Nightmare and Chaos. And uh, she left them, she had them sort of in a separate room, and we left, and these cats were in their room. We came home, and they had gotten out of the room. They had gotten on top of the fridge into the cupboard where their treats were hiding, and the treats, had, they tore the bag open, and the treats were all over the top of the fridge. Cats, when left alone to their own devices, I love cats, but they're also uh, horrible monsters at times. So. <laughs> I wonder if those, uh, those names were predictive or reactive with regards to, what was it, midnight, chaos and? Nightmare. Nightmare, okay, yeah, that'll do it. And I don't know what it's like in your house, Loren, but, uh, and I know we got to read Cheryl's text here, but uh, whenever a new package comes into the house, Whiskey thinks it's for him. Like, he needs to know, like, the bag, the box, anything that comes in, he's jumping up on, on top of it because he figured there's a treat attached. Sorry, Brett. Oh, goodness. Don't be sorry at all, man. So, as you mentioned, Cheryl is our winner. I just want to point out to Stacy. Thank you, Stacy. She sent us a picture of, she says, I like to play Aggravation on a homemade board my mother made 40 years ago. So the table is the game board. And that's pretty, that's really neat. But Cheryl uh, Loren just told a really cute story that made us all smile. Yeah, so Cheryl texted to say, our family used to play Trivia Crack on our phones a few years ago where we'd challenge each other within the game. We also group played on one phone before the kids got phones and were little, a game called Four Picks, One Word. It was quite a competition at who could guess the word first from the photos. Now I play solitaire and word cookies to unwind in the evening. The kids occasionally offer help on word cookies, but it's just nice that they still want to hang out now that they're big. <laughs> and that's cute. I think that's why people keep games going in their house, cause, because it's a way for to, to bring everybody together. Yeah, I used to love game night. Uh, my my mom and I, I think, were a bit more into it than my dad and my sister. Um, but eventually it would get frustrating because my, <laughs> my mom was super competitive and mm-hmm. she was pretty much better at all of us at all of the games we played. So eventually we would all want to stop playing because she beat us so badly. <laughs> She's not oh. the mom when you're younger, eh, doing the old, oh, good job, you win. No, no, no she would. You're three and too bad. Get better at that game. Life oh, is... My mom would want to play the, the Bobby Holt, the tabletop hockey too. And like, it, yeah, there were, the, the gloves were off. She was trying to win every single time, Brett. <laughs> They're just teaching us important lessons. You win some, you lose some. Got to learn how to lose. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, there is a campaign afoot. To save a piece of Manitoba, that is important to a lot of people, Greg. We're talking about beer. You might drink it, you might not, and if you don't, there's a decent chance you know someone who does. Standard lager, Ms. McNabb. Okay, so what is the deal with standard lager? Well, we're going to learn more from our friend Chris Grays from the King's Head Pub. And Chris... You joined us about a month ago, and I said to you, you know, we were talking restrictions and COVID, and I said, it'd be nice if we could talk about something else, something a bit more lighthearted, but I understand you're you're very fired up about this standard situation. Tell us a bit about it. Well, yeah, let's talk about beer. I love it. <laughs> it's about time we can talk about something different. Uh, you know, well, I mean, listen, we all know that we're still in a storm right now of a bunch of other things, right? That's just the way we are. But we want to save a little piece of Manitoba history. I mean, that's important for us. 
it's that it's that legacy, it's the heritage that standard is to Manitoba. And yeah, we're trying to we're we're trying to start a little like, hey, let's wake up and let's uh, let's keep this sucker around. So whenever we have uh, one of these conversations about your dad's beer, the beer that you grew up drinking, standard comes up. Can you describe standard maybe for those that you know have lost touch with uh, this this mighty Manitoba beer? Well, we're not all Labatt fifty drinkers. I can say that. <laughs> <laughs> but, I don't know why. Know, I, I'm glad you're not, though. <laughs> I listen, I like your good about 52. But so this is this is not a. First of all, I mean, I just want everybody to understand. Like we are, we support local, right? We love supporting local beers. We have a lot of taps here. We support a lot of different local local uh, places around. This is more like this is something that's been brewed around here since like uh, you know for 18 1877. And, you know, it's a beer that's now brewed for Manitoba. And, I mean, how many people, you know, have probably shed a tear or maybe laughed a few laughs around a standard? I know I'm not originally from here, but when I moved here, it was a beer that I gravitated to because it reminded me of beers back home. And what we we just want to keep a little bit of the legacy, and it's our pushback, too, at, at these corporate companies that buy these other companies and come in and just sort of like eliminate them and <clears throat> excuse me and we don't want that to happen with this we don't want the corporate to kind of crush a little bit of our manitoba history so why is standard being discontinued do you know you know there's a couple there's probably a couple reasons uh but what happens is when these big companies they buy out these smaller places these smaller uh companies uh it's the production right so the more they produce of these other peers uh, the more money they make. So, you know, in this particular case, it's Molson Coors who actually owns Standard. And so they would make more money producing Coors Light and Molson Canadian than they would a beer specific for one place in Manitoba. So the other thing is, is like, let's say they do discontinue it. I'd love to see a local company actually pick up Standard and start brewing Standard here in Manitoba. I think that'd be great. So well, I guess we'll have to reach out to Molson just to get the, their reasoning as to why this is happening. But why are you trying to save it, Chris? Like in terms of what are you hearing? And I have a kid doing remote learning right now beside me talking very loudly to his teachers. So I apologize. But, you know, we are all doing what we can right now. And, and you're doing what you can to stay save standard beer. What are your customers saying about this? Well, hopefully your kid's doing a report right now on saving standards because that'll help. <laughs> I hope his teacher can't hear me right now is what I'm hoping. Goodness gracious. Well, you know what? The King's Head is, is kind of an iconic place in Winnipeg and in Manitoba. So it just sort of felt right for us to kind of go with that. And I mean, it's another way for us to unite people right now because it has been, everything's been about the pandemic. And don't get me wrong, I mean, it's been brutal. Uh, but, you know, we were just trying to find something else in a little bit of a different light. Uh, try to like bring some people together, start some conversations. And, you know, there's been some good little, I see some Twitter battles out there about if it's not being eliminated and if it is, but you know, it also gives us something to kind of fight for a little bit more. And again, it's Manitoba history. It's just this heritage of this place. And I mean, I saw it happen in Nova Scotia where, you know, there was a beer called 10 penny and the same thing happened. Right. And somebody came along and they just eliminated that. So we don't want that to happen here. We want to try to keep that, keep it alive. Yeah. We don't want it to go the way of club beer unless club is still around. I mean, the club wasn't terrific, but it was brewed for people like you and me. Is club and not around? 
I don't know if club's still around. Is it still around, Chris? Yeah, yeah, club is still around, actually. Oh, my yeah, word. Yeah, because I incredible. know one guy in Minnedosa would be very upset if that wasn't the case. So. The I one just... customer in Minnedosa. <laughs> <laughs> well, on the Liquor Mart's uh, website here, and it describes standard, you, you mentioned the recipe dating back to 1877, and a brewed especially for Manitoba. It is a lager of established quality, long favored for its mellow satisfying flavor it doesn't really describe it It, it, it's more superlatives than anything but there's another beer that's very popular in manitoba that is also potentially on the chopping block old vienna oh yeah old vienna is too that's also on the chopping block as well in the same similar situation right so you're about to you know there's a good chance we might be losing uh Two of those beers that, uh, I mean, let's just say they're not full of aromas and beautiful flavors, but, I mean, it's a good drinking beer. Chris, you talked about the, you know, the memories or shedding a tear. And uh, obviously, like, look, we like to have lighthearted conversations about stuff like beer. Or, you know, Gabby likes to make her jokes about wine. And we understand that, you know, as long as you're consuming responsibly. But that's one of the reasons why I like to go out to restaurants, to pubs, so I can break bread with friends, so I can share a drink and something like a beer can bring back, bring memories flooding back. Like for people who maybe drank it once upon a time uh, and have sort of gone to a different place or, you know, with what they drink. Um, if you say the word standard, that's going to immediately snap back a lot of memories for people. Yeah, absolutely. It is, you know, actually there was a, uh, I think back in the day, there might've even been a band in Winnipeg that was actually named after the, beer standard. I don't know what it was exactly. I was just talking to a buddy of mine about this yesterday. Uh, But yeah, like there are so many different type of memories that you have from this. I mean, I think about this particular beer and how long it's been around. You know, I guarantee if your dad drank beer, your mom drank beer, your grandmother, grandfather, I'm sure they would have had a bottle of standard or a couple in in the fridge at some point. And you know, that is the part of it that's just, it's that legacy aspect that we want to, we want to keep that around. We don't want those things to just slowly eliminate, you know, from, uh, from our history. So yeah, if you got a bottle of standard, I'd keep it around just in case you never know. It might be worth something. (laughs) (laughs) Something to keep in mind just in case, Chris, you know, I just wanted to follow up on Brett's thought about breaking bread. And I know Friday, I think, are you heading there today, Brett? Friday's your usual day to Oh yeah, yeah. We've yeah. Got, I've got a meeting at ten o'clock, and I'm just thankful that it was scheduled for ten and not twelve because it's a meeting I would have otherwise had to skip or right. dial in from the pub. <laughs> right. So he talks often about that feeling in the atmosphere that certain places have for him, and and I think we all have that go to spot we like to go to. Chris, I've always wondered, as bartenders and a bar owner, how many stories like pour out at that at that bar you know that whole cliche rubbing your towel and cleaning the thing and someone pours their heart out to you is it regular that people will show up and share what's going on in their day usually every friday at around what 11 (laughs) o'clock it's brett i didn't mean to i didn't mean to segue back to it's brett (laughs) no you know what Lorraine? you're right it happens all the time because this is like pubs and bars and and lounges and taverns anything like that it is really like an extension of your living room. It's a place that you can come and we want you to feel comfortable. We want you to feel relaxed. And sometimes that happens, but you know what? 
it's usually as much therapy for the person who's telling the story as it is for somebody like myself or a bartender or server who sometimes is listening as well. And, you know, it goes both ways. And that is what's important. And it's just nice to be able to have a place like that. And then, you know, when we talk about beer and we talk about things like that, yeah, I mean, do we get into sometimes some overconsumption of, of liquid? Yeah, that absolutely happens. But it's still so much part of a social aspect of it. And that's what's important. It's that social connection that we make with one another that's so important. Yeah, you know, it's a really great point uh, you made with regard to jarring memories as well, Brett, just that whole thing of, you know, you hold a certain bottle of beer, or maybe you have a sip of a certain scotch, or maybe it's a certain tequila. For me, that transports me to a specific time and place every single time that, you know, and you, and it might uh, generate some stories and conversation and then somebody else, it, like, it, just that whole idea of enjoying and a libation with one another and just sitting around and chit chatting. Boy, are we missing that right now, Chris? Oh man, we really are. It is a, uh, it's been actually, you know, this, the last 20 months have been very difficult. And for people that this is part of their routine is to come out to places and to come out to different establishments and, and talk about that and making memories. I mean, and still, I mean, you know, we talk about memories from a long time ago. I mean, we're still making memories as we continue to go. So again, and I love that we're getting into this kind of a conversation because this is what we talk about when we talk about saving a beer or saving something that's dear to us. It brings up these whole conversations and stuff like that. And that's where, I get excited because I'm like, this is what it's about. Like, this is literally what it's about. It's about saving memories and making more memories. Chris, if people want to help save Standard, what should they do? They got to go on to our social media. So you got to go on to our Instagram, which is King's Head WPG, and also Facebook, and get in there, find our post, and tag Molson Coors. I have it all in there. And then tag a bunch of your favorite locations, the favorite bars and stuff like that. The more word we get out there, the better it's going to be. And just keep hammering Molson Coors. Just keep letting them have it. Chris Graves from the King's Head Pub joining us live on 680 CJOB with the campaign to save standard lager since 1877 in Manitoba. Chris, thank you very much, sir. I'll see you in 72 minutes' time. I'll make sure I sit in your seat and keep it warmed up for you, bye. Okay, Chris, thanks a lot. And um, just as an aside... You talk about memories. I'm walking down the hall. Kluge says to me, when I was in university, standard was the beer. You talked about going up to the bar in uh, the university center, I guess. And he said he, he had a buddy who worked in the rail yards in Transcona. And that was the beer mm-hmm. was standard. So I never, I'd never heard of this beer. I feel ashamed until I was about 19 years old. And then I realized uh, as the years gone on, this is a beer that... Uh, so many people will stick to, like, re- some people, Greg, it's religious for them. 100% it is. And uh, I just love uh, the passion Chris has for so many things. And just this, it's really, you don't want to be cliche, but it is sort of preserving part of our heritage, our modern heritage. And so uh, this is this is something worth keeping an eye on, I think. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. 
and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.